were talking about talents and gifts, and that was beautiful. Thank you so much for those songs. Uh, beautiful words, very meaningful. I would invite you to open your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, very familiar passage. If this next talk, me, uh, about me, about each one of us, I want you to think about yourself here. If this talk has a text, it would be John 1, verse 12. And this is what it says. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, I know that's not a new verse for you, but I hope that you find new meaning in that verse as we go through the next 30 minutes or so here. This is a familiar passage, and it talks how Jesus came into the world. He was the creator of the world. He created you, were created by him for good works, things that were ordained long before we showed up. Another powerful part of this passage is that Jesus came and he walked among us. He lived among us. He, he became flesh. That means he experienced the same things we experience. He had the same complex family relationships. And we don't have time to go into it, but I would challenge you to read through your Bible and as you read the life of Jesus, think about what that must have been like. To be without sin, to be perfect, never making a mistake, growing up with Joseph the carpenter, who wasn't his real dad. You ever think of that? It wasn't his real dad. The, the beauty of, of that relationship and how when you read through the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew, it traces his lineage back through Joseph, which is crazy. There's no blood relationship there. So this is a little bunny trail, but we're kind of going on it on purpose. I, I see there just an incredible stamp of approval on any man and woman, any any family, couple, that takes a child that's not their own and raises them. God did it with his own son. He sent him to family. And that family was so much a part of who Jesus was. The Bible traces his lineage through Joseph, which is crazy. Did you ever think about that? That's insane. Jesus grew up in... Um, the, the family relationships, and we're going to talk more about God's family here in the the one the talk after this, the the you talk, uh, brothers and sisters, and, and being part of Jesus' family. But we have a new identity. We are now part of a new family, and I'm just assuming in this talk that you are born again. And if you aren't. I would invite you to change that before the sun sets tonight. So just talk to me, talk to one of the youth leaders here, and just say, you know what, I, I really need to find that new identity we heard about today. It, it's powerful, it's beautiful, 
it's wonderful, and you become part of a new family. And it's a decision that I wish I could just make for you. It's a decision that I, could, I wish I could make for a lot of people, but I can't. Because it's the best decision in your life that you'll ever make. But Jesus came, and he was confined into a human body, and he walked the same earth that we walk, facing the same challenges and temptations that we do. Isn't that incredible? So you have the verse there, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So let me ask you a question. Did Jesus have to learn to read? Or was he just born knowing how to read? Right? Maybe I'm not making any sense to you, but when you start pouring through this life of Jesus, him becoming flesh... It's crazy. So I, I, I'm told that Jewish boys around Jesus' time went to school. There were schools for the boys, and they went and they learned out of the five books of Moses. So that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they learned that by heart by the time they were 12. That's what I'm told. So did Jesus need to learn to read? Secondly, did he need to memorize that stuff, or did he already know it? I think he needed to memorize it. That's my personal opinion. But he wrote it. Right? I mean, Moses wrote it, but he was, he was inspired by God to write that. And Jesus is God. So he wrote it, but then he had to memorize it too. Like, it's incredible. Jesus came, and you, and you know this. I know you know this. Jesus came to earth. He had one purpose. And that was to die for my mistakes and for yours. To give his life as a ransom for many. And to rise again to prove that he has power over sin and death. And then verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Do you see how powerful that is? He's inviting us to come and be part of his family. So we were born into a family, and that was a wonderful thing. And if you have a dad and a mom today, thank God for them. If you have a dad and a mom that live together, you need to really thank God for them. Because through the thick and the thin, they've stuck it out for you. And for each other. If you have a mom and a dad today that you weren't born to them, but they opened their home to you, you need to thank God for that too. That's amazing. And God loves doing that. I believe that with all my heart. God absolutely loves to do that. He loves to pour life into people. And he's poured life into you. If if only we could understand a little more of how much life he's poured into me, into each one of us. How much life he's poured into you. Verse 13, 
goes on to say that these were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you want a challenge for the whole weekend in the next year, just take that last phrase and try to live your life full of grace and truth. And the two are huge, and they are hugely opposing to each other, but can live in a perfect balance. So if you want a full-time job, if you want a challenge, try to live your life full of grace and truth. And Jesus taught us how to do it. We have a new identity. I am a new creation. From the moment I give my life to God, and I can't explain it exactly to you, but I can tell how it was for me. I believe this new creation is a work in progress. I believe there's a power and an identity that we get the moment that we give our lives to God and we accept Christ as our personal Savior. But I believe he continues to transform us. He continues to sanctify us, purify us, whatever word you want to use. But we are a new creation. We are a new person. And that's really exciting. We're part of a new family. We have this verse. This is out of the NIV, and I, I used it on purpose because I love the way it says it. Very, very well-known verse again. But it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I love this part. The old has gone. The new has come. And it almost makes me cry because it's so beautiful. The old stuff, it's, it's gone. And the new has come. Unfortunately, it's not gone for our parents and our family and our community. They, know, they knew us how we were. But in Christ, that stuff's gone. The mistakes of the past are gone. And it's new. It's a new life. It's a new purpose. It's a new plan. And he wants to use the stuff from the past. But it's, it's past. I read a lot of things, and, and half the time I don't know what to believe. But, and this is one of them. But I'll just share it for the, the intellect value that it holds for me. I'm told that the Jews understood this about God much more than the Western, us Western cultures do. But we, we tend to think kind of in terms of um, plans and consequences and, and that sort of thing. But the God of the Bible wanted his people, he didn't really care about what was behind them. He just wanted them to make a good move once. Like, forget the past, make a good decision today. And, and that stuff's there for, for reason, and it's, it's um, valuable for our instruction and who we're becoming. But, but God calls us to just make a good decision now. Start, he talks about making new paths for our feet. And he talks about being a light to our path. 
And so I'm here to say this morning that it doesn't really matter where you've messed up. God is just calling you to something new. And, and he wants you to be that. The old has gone. The new has come. That is, I can almost see that, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Remember this verse? Let's say it one more time all together. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And again, that's Ephesians 2.10. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2.10 because it doesn't necessarily start there. There's a lot in this passage before we get to that verse. And it's really important for us to consider this as we, as we go into to this talk. That verse is in Ephesians 2.10. We're going to start to read in Ephesians verse 1. And we're going to read kind of slow. And I'd like you to help me with this. So maybe you're tired of sitting. Why don't you stand? And I'll read the first verse. You read the second. And we'll go all the way to verse 10. But keep it slow. Try to stay together. And, and let's not go too fast. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened or brought to life who were dead in trespasses and sins. You go. So if you think about the lost, we were lost. All of us were lost. Now verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. That was our way of life. That was our lifestyle. Lost. Um, in sin. In times past, in the lusts of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And of the mind. And some of us still struggle with that. We want to do our own thing. We want to do it our way. We, we want God to be part of our life, but we want to kind of control it. Um, that's pretty natural. And we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Go ahead, verse 4. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, has brought us to life, together with Christ, by grace. Ye are saved. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now just pause a moment and get a hold of that verse. That in the ages to come. So it's not all going to happen now. And you're not actually going to get to see it all in your lifetime. Everything that is part of this new identity that you have, you don't even see it. You're going to figure that out in eternity, I believe. In the ages to come. Because I'm not going to be around for an age even. I, I already know that. I'm not going to make it to 100. I don't think. I mean, if I do, that'd be great. But... 
I doubt it, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Go ahead. Not of works, lest any man should boast altogether, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Thank you. You may be seated. So God makes all things well, and he brings beauty in our lives, but we are not perfect individuals. We've made mistakes. And I want to say to you this morning, God's okay with that. He's okay with mistakes because he knows we've made mistakes. And he's, he is not going to be the one that keeps bringing this up and, and putting it in our face, the mistakes we've made. He, he isn't. If you think about that, that's pretty powerful too. Our parents do sometimes. We as parents tend to do this. Um, other people maybe hold us to some of the things we were part of in the past. But God doesn't. He says he doesn't remember our sins anymore. It's a new slate. It's new. He wants us to walk forward and make some good decisions once. That's what he wants. He is not so concerned about mistakes because he knows how to handle them. He knows how to turn them around for our good. And even for the good of others. One of the things with this new creation, this new, the newness that has come, is that I am never alone. This is pretty personal on my part, but I want to share it with you. I was, I was raised by a pastor and a missionary, a very godly man, very godly parents, very spiritual people. And when I became a Christian, they really encouraged me to read the Bible and on my own, and I did that, and I would have my time of, um, you know, meeting with God. They taught me that it's, it's really important to do that in the morning, and I, I believe it is. It really is. But I came to a point in my life where I thought more was better, bigger is better, always bigger is better, right? More is better. Like, why would you read two or three verses when you could read two or three chapters? And I would do this, and it was it was kind of... Of works, so that somebody here could boast about it. I started to see my devotional time with God as, you know, sort of, okay, let's get this done because this is important to do and we're going to do this. Okay, now we have that out of the way. Now we can get on with real work, right? We can get on with the rest of our day and, and our life. It, it, it's, it was a process for me, but I, I came to a moment probably when I was, after I was 20, unfortunately, that I realized that God didn't want those 10 minutes in the morning. He wanted far more than that. He didn't want some one-on-one -on -one time so that I could get that done with and get on with my day. He wanted to be part of my day. God didn't want to be a God up there that I, I reached out to when I really needed him. He actually wanted to be my friend that we walked life. For me, it was just so powerful. I, I struggled to put it into words for you. But when I realized God is beside me, Jesus is with me all the time, 
He knows my friends. He knows the people that I'm not getting along with right now. He knows my challenges. He knows my concerns and my disappointments. God is there, and he wants to be part of every minute of every day. And I can talk to him any minute of every day, and he knows. And so I am never alone. And I would like you to, if you haven't thought about that before, think about that and invite Jesus to be part of your life. I mean, when you're driving, if you're alone, I, I'd encourage you to just talk to him like you talk to a friend. Pretend he's sitting there in the passenger seat, because he is. Just talk to him. If you're concerned, tell him you're concerned about this thing. If you're fearful of something, lay it on him. Let, let him know, because he understands. When you're texting, he's there. He's reading that, too. Right? And he wants you to use that to bless and to encourage and to build. Now we're getting into the next lesson. But you are never alone. I am never alone. Jesus is always there. I am loved with an everlasting love. Not only have I been made to a purpose, but I have been loved. And because of that love, I can love others. We talked about how our lives are ordered of the Lord for a purpose. This picture is, is really important to me. I told you that I have an adopted brother, and I grew up thinking that that's normal. That's, that's just the way it was. He was there before I arrived. I, I always had that um, in my family, and, and it was the most natural thing. Looking back on my life, I realized that God did that because he was preparing me for a work that he would have me do many, many years later. I believe with all my heart that, my, that God wanted my parents to adopt my brother James as much for his good as for mine and prepare me to work with, with people that are not part of my family that are my family. It's funny, growing up with, uh, with an adopted brother, there are some, some just great little stories I could tell you. I'll tell you two real quick. When I was growing up, um, I would always get his hand-me-downs. We, we were a missionary family. We moved back to Canada. We were re returned missionaries. My parents were poor as church mice. They uh, started out uh, with five children, where most couples start out when they just are newly married, right? The same kind of finances, the same... We're buying a house. Um, we're, we're, but they had five children, and um, four of us were in school, so they had tuition on top of it. But I wore his hand-me-downs. I, I always got to wear his used clothes until I was about 11 or 12, and then the clothes became interchangeable. And then when I was about 13 and 15, then he got my hand-me-downs. It's kind of cool. Another time, we were in Guatemala, and... For some reason, I was driving the motorcycle that day because often I rode on the back. But I was driving the motorcycle. I was 20. He's, he was 25. We pulled in to buy some bus tickets, probably for John. It was actually later than that. But he jumped off the back of the bike, and, and I parked it, and we went in. I went to buy the bus tickets. He stood by the door, and we had to wait for the person to get some change or something. And one of the ranchers sitting there waiting as well, he said, uh, is that your bodyguard? 
I guess that's what it looked like to him, right? The American <laughs> with the, uh, I said, no, actually, it's my older brother, so I kind of bodyguard, I guess. I told you that Brenda and I, um, we raised six boys, and I believe that God used that experience and growing up with an adopted brother to prepare me for this. This, When we had our boys, it, it seemed like the most natural thing, and you actually understand how it how it appears to other people, I guess, what, by some of the comments they make. Like some people would say, you know, this is just an amazing thing that you're doing. It didn't really seem amazing to me. It was just sort of something that God put in our path and asked us to do. But I would like you to look at that picture and think about you are loved with an everlasting love. Because each one of those boys ran away from our home. Not all at the same time. But every single one of them got to a point in their life where they wanted to do their own thing. And they didn't like the house rules. And they chose to leave. And different ones of them um, left home or ran away in different ways. But I want to say that we still love them, even when they ran away. And we still love them today. And we are in contact with them today. Every single one of them have, has come back and said, you know, that was one of the worst decisions I ever made in my life. I don't know why I did that, but I ran away. I'm going to make a statement, and you'll have to decide whether it's true or not, but I would say that each one of us has ran away, has run away. We all run away from our Father. And He loves us with an everlasting love. I love the parable that Jesus tells about the prodigal son, because that's us. The prodigal son left. He demanded what he thought he deserved. He used it for himself. And that is such a picture of me. Just taking all I can get of the good stuff that's given to me and kind of taking it, demanding it, and then using it for me. Using it for myself. Do you remember we talked about glorifying the, the Father through obedience? That's what, Je that's what God required of Jesus. And that's what the prodigal son, actually, when he came to the end of himself, that's what was required of him, was obedience. The father in the story, the parable of the prodigal son, he goes out every morning to look to see if his son's coming home. Every morning, he's looking for him. And after one of the boys would run away, it, it, was, it was uncanny how you would just tend, to, as you were driving, you'd scan scan along the road to see if you would catch a glimpse of any of them. Or, or would you see them? And some of them, we didn't know where they were after they left. And I would go to Guatemala City 10 hours away, and I would catch myself just watching as, as people were walking, thousands, hundreds of people, you know, maybe one of them is, is one of our boys. And I, I'd watch them. I believe in a much greater sense God does the same thing when we run away. He's watching for those 
those clues, those cues that our heart is turning back toward him and that we're coming home. But he loves us through it all. I would say that scripture supports the fact that even in our sin, God loves us and wants us to come back. He wants us to repent. He wants us. He wants to use even those mistakes to glorify him. With this new identity, I will only have problems, my sons. And God promises this. There is no temptation given us but what is common to man. And with that temptation, we we are never given a temptation that is, is too great for us. He will not tempt us with something that we're not able to bear. I should have the reference there for you, but I don't. If somebody knows it, just call it out and we'll put it in there. But that's something that I missed. The verse goes on to say that he will, let me just do this. There's never going to be anything bigger than than we can handle. That's maybe a fairly loose paraphrase. Uh, We will never be given something that's too great for us. Now, we should think about that just a little bit, because I cannot say that, you know, I will never be given a temptation that's too great for me to handle. We should add there the word alone. Um, Let me rethink what I just said. I, I believe that there are things that come into our lives that are too big for us to handle alone. We, we need God. And even as a Christian, we will face things that are so big, we do talk to the empty passenger seat. But it's not empty. Remember, we're not alone. Jesus is there. There, there are things that are so big that they, it forces me to my knees. And I just say, God, this is out of my control. And it, you're right. It's not, I'm not controlling this. I remember that now. You're controlling this. This is this is a big problem, and I cannot face this without you. I need your help. Again, I need you to help me. So there is a way out. Every situation has a way of escape. Maybe you struggle with the question I struggled with for many years. Why do temptations come? I mean, why would God allow temptations in my life? Because they're hard. Think of it this way. I I think you've all had a school teacher that gave you a test. Right? They teach the lesson. They teach the unit in science, for example, They give you some quizzes. They do some review before class. You know, as they're getting into the next lesson, you kind of review what was last lesson. And then they give you a test to see how you'll do. Think of God the same way. Everything in your life has been preparing you for this test. Sometimes I would get to a test and I would challenge my teacher and I would say, we didn't study that. Guess what? It was in the textbook. It was there. 
And once I knew the answer, oh, yeah, I kind of remember, yeah, that was, that was reviewed. That's right. Not only did she teach it, she also reviewed it. I just missed it, right? I would say the same thing applies in the Christian life. God prepares you for everything you're going to face. And then he gives you a test. And he gives you a test that he knows you can pass, and he knows he's prepared you for that. But so often, I become so full of myself that I fail the test because I try to go it alone. We need God. We need God so desperately. We are never alone, but we need to avail ourselves and reach out to him in order to come through. I will be victorious through Christ, and we could rephrase that or add on to that and say, I will be victorious through Christ and only through Christ. So maybe you failed and you feel like that's your lot in life is just to fail. It's not. God is calling you to be a new creation in him. He has loved you with an everlasting love. He's promised to be with you. He will not give you temptations that are too big for you. He's been preparing you for this test that he's going to give, but he also wants to walk with you through this test, and he wants to help you win. And you can and will be victorious through Christ, but it's only going to be through Christ. There are a lot of helps today that try to go around this last phrase through Christ, and they don't work. You might medicate a problem. You might be able to take away a bit of the pain that you're experiencing emotionally or um, psychologically, but it's only through Christ that you will succeed and be victorious. I would invite you to stand and repeat with me our rally cry. Say, I am loved. I am called. We need each other. He has overcome. We are more than conquerors through Christ. I hope that you know this song and will sing it with me. Let's sing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God.
come before you thanking you that you have called us to be your children. Thank you that you have loved us even when we walk away from you. You love us and call us back and wait for us to come back to you. Thank you that you have promised us that you will never leave us alone, that you will walk with us every step of the way. Thank you that you continue to develop us and develop growth and advancement in our lives. Lord, help us to catch a glimpse of what our new identity in you looks like. And I pray that you would go with us today and give us a good day and help us to understand what you are wanting to tell us through your spirit. I pray for each one that as we reflect, we can make commitments to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.